Thanks for checking out this Church in the City podcast. In our series through the Gospel of Matthew entitled The Good News of God's Kingdom, we're exploring the ways that we, as disciples of Jesus, partner with God for the real, everyday advancing of His kingdom. There was a demon that lived in the air. They said whoever challenged him would die. Their controls would freeze up. Their planes would buffet wildly and they would disintegrate. The demon lived at Mach 1 on the meter, 750 miles an hour, where the air could no longer move out of the way. He lived, he lived behind a barrier through which they said no man could ever pass. They called it the sound barrier. That's, uh, that's the opening line of one of my favorite movies, and I'm totally going to give, give my age away. It's the movie called The Right Stuff. Anyone who's over 35 probably knows that movie. It's an outstanding, a uh, little bit long, three-hour biopic about the uh, Mercury 7 project, NASA's first manned space flight. And uh, in this incredible movie, uh, before they actually get to the manned space flight, they talk about the, the journey that Chuck Yeager took to actually break the sound barrier, uh, the, first, the world's first supersonic flight. And uh, as Hollywood tends to do, they totally exaggerate the physics. Um, but what, the, what this movie does, as, as Chuck Yeager is, is, is flying his aircraft, getting closer and closer to, to the sound barrier... The reason they say that it is impossible, or, or they thought it was impossible to break the sound barrier, was because as they crossed over that line, as they crossed over that barrier, the, the plane becomes incredibly hard to control. It's almost as if left becomes right, uh, right left, and, and upside down, uh, kind of up and down are completely turned upside down. Uh, there, was a, there was a moment in time, there was, a, there was a barrier at which they would cross and things would be completely different. And I use that to say, I think that wonderfully describes the kingdom of God. There's, there's, a, there's a line in the sand, as it were. There's a, there's a barrier that, that we cross over when we give our hearts to Jesus. We come into God's kingdom, and literally everything is turned upside down. Thing, things are not the way that we once knew them to be. Uh, Paul writes in the book of Colossians that we are, we are rescued um, out of the kingdom of darkness and transferred, we cross over the line, we cross over the barrier into the kingdom of the son he loves and everything changes. As citizens of God's kingdom, as, as those who follow Jesus by faith, we have the incredible privilege of telling the world and showing the world what it looks like when Jesus is king. He's a king, uh, the likes of which the world has never, ever seen before. But here's the main point that I want us to, to grab hold of. When we do this, when we, when we advance God's kingdom, when we tell the world what it looks like when Jesus is king, we must settle the fact that God's kingdom is not anything like the world, but also it's not just like any other religion. The kingdom of God is completely upside down, and the kingdom of God is inside out. The kingdom of God is upside down, and the kingdom of God is inside out. If you've been uh, at church over the last few weeks, you'll know that we are teaching through a series through the first 13 chapters of the book of Matthew. The series is entitled, The Good News of God's Kingdom. And, uh, and, and some, some commentators suggest that the book of Matthew was actually used as a foundations manual for new believers, 
I actually like that approach to the book of Matthew because if that is the case, then then Matthew 28 is the goal. Matthew 28 describes Jesus gathering together his disciples, these, these men who had walked with him, who had spent time with Jesus. They were full of the Spirit. They were full of the Word of God. And Jesus commissions them. Jesus releases them, calls them to go and to continue what he had started, advancing his kingdom into all nations. But we can read Matthew 28 and think, my goodness, that's a, that's a great call, but where does this all start? Well, it starts right back in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, we are introduced to the grace of God, God's riches at Christ's expense. The grace of God is, is, is the abundance, the expressive abundance of, 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 of God's goodness and favor poured out upon us, not because of anything we've done, but because of Jesus' goodness uh, and death and and resurrection from the cross. We are those who have been transformed and changed by grace. That's the lesson from Matthew chapter 1. And because we are now God's children, as was wonderfully testified just a few moments ago, we get to hear God's voice. God speaks to us. That's the lesson from Matthew chapter 2. Not just God speaking to us, but filling us with His Holy Spirit. Jesus was, was baptized in water, but the Spirit of God came upon him. It's a, it's a beautiful picture of, of how you and I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Knowing our position in Christ, understanding that God speaks to us, and being filled with the Spirit of God gives us the, the know-how, gives us the ability to be able to live a life victorious over the devil, which is the lesson from Matthew chapter 4. And just like Jesus' disciples followed him, so we are too called by Jesus to follow him, to continue the work he has called us to do. As it says in Matthew 4, 23, Jesus went around, Jesus went into towns and villages and into the synagogues and and proclaimed and and preached the kingdom of God and prayed for all who were sick and diseased. This, This proclamation and this release of the kingdom of God. Matthew 4.23 is actually the the pivotal verse around which we are basing our series. We're going to get to Matthew chapter 8 and 9, which is Jesus explaining more how we are called to to operate in the power of God. We're going to get to Matthew chapter 10, where where Jesus explains about the commissioning, him releasing his power upon us and, and, and calling us to go and to proclaim the good news of the kingdom into all nations. But before we get there, we get to the section of Scripture, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Three chapters which are commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is essentially Jesus' teaching on the kingdom of God. It's Jesus' kingdom manifesto. He's, he's explaining through these three chapters what it looks like now that he has arrived to become king of God's kingdom. God's kingdom, God's desire is for his kingdom to extend over all nations. But I want to say this, friends, it starts in our hearts. Above all else, God desires our hearts. I was talking to someone on Friday and we were just agreeing that above all else, that's what God desires. God desires the nearness and the closeness and the intimacy that comes from being in relationship with him. We get to change the city, we get to change the nations when individuals come together as the people of God because Jesus is Lord and King over our lives. And that's what Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 describe. 
They don't describe this nebulous kingdom. They describe what it looks like when individuals like you and me completely surrender our lives to Jesus as Lord and as King. And that's what we're going to be having a look at um, over these next uh, 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 30 or so minutes and then next week when Vanessa teaches as well. If you were here at church two Sundays ago, you might remember that I was teaching about um, how a Jewish rabbi's interpretation of scripture is called, is, is called his yoke. And it was Jewish culture, it was common in Jewish culture for that particular rabbi to pass on his interpretation of scripture, to pass on his yoke to a group of disciples that he was training up. It was the exact same way that he had learned how to interpret scripture when someone had invested in him. This goes on for generation after generation, but every now and then, along comes a teacher, along comes a rabbi who has authority to to bring fresh understanding or fresh interpretation to scripture, to bring a, a new and completely different yoke. The Bible tells us that Jesus is such a teacher. The very last verse of the Sermon on the Mount, at the very end of Matthew chapter 7, when Jesus had finished teaching, it says this, Matthew makes this comment, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not like their teachers of the law. In fact, in Matthew chapter 11, we won't won't turn there, but in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus goes on to describe what his yoke is. He goes on to describe, he gives definition to his yoke. He gives definition to his interpretation of God's word. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 11, come to me. There's that call again, that call to come, come follow me. Come to me, Jesus says, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. What Jesus is saying is submit to my word. Submit to my teaching. Surrender to, 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 to the word of God that I'm, that, that I'm teaching. Submit to my word. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. And then he says, for my yoke, for my interpretation of scripture, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I say all that to, to make two very important points because Because of the time, we only are setting aside three Sundays to work through Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Hugh preached on the Beatitudes last week. I'm kind of giving an overview of of the Sermon on the Mount today, and Vanessa is summing it up next week. But I I say all of that to to say this, two very, very important points. Firstly, Jesus is incredibly patient and gracious towards those who are weary and burdened, but not so much to the self-righteous, to the proud, or to the religious. And I want to say, friends, sometimes, and I, I, to speak to myself as much as to, to, to encourage you, sometimes we need to just be real. Put aside the pretension of, of having it all together and come before Jesus, weary and burdened, knowing that he is incredibly gracious and patient with us. It's sometimes when we kind of fluff ourselves up and kind of posture ourselves as having it all together that Jesus is saying, no, your self-righteousness is actually getting in the way of me being able to work in your heart. Don't be concerned if you're weary and burdened. 
Jesus is incredibly patient with us when we are. And the second thing I want to say is when you read God's word, especially a passage like Matthew 5, 6, and 7, when you read God's word, make sure that you read it with Jesus because he's the only one who can teach you with authority. He's the only one who can make sure that his word, his yoke upon you will be easy and light. If you read this within any other context, in the context of this world, in the context of someone else's interpretation of the scripture, the, the yoke upon you will not be easy and light. Read the word of God with Jesus the whole time. So with that in mind, as we, as we surrender to Jesus' lordship, as we, as we submit to the good news of his kingdom and, and surrender to his yoke, the first thing I want to say, the first thing I want to just encourage us is we need to settle the fact that the kingdom of God is not anything like the world. The kingdom of God is not anything like the world. It's an upside down kingdom. Let's read Matthew 5 verse 11 through 16 together. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do good people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Verse 3 to 10, the passage immediately preceding the section that I've just read, is called the Beatitudes. It's what what Hugh preached on last week. And if you've got a Bible open, I want you just to quickly glance over to those those few verses, verses 3 through verses 10. Because what it it starts off, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who meek. It, It describes those who are blessed and those who are favored in the kingdom of God. And you will notice that it's the wrong people who are getting blessed. It's the wrong people who are getting blessed. Whether we, whether we realize it or not, we have set up a, a secular version of, of, of the Beatitudes. Our culture tries to redefine those who are blessed and those who are favored. You see it in, 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 on TV commercials. You see it in social media. You see it on movies. Uh, unfortunately, my eldest daughter, who is at school in Boston, somehow she subscribed to People magazine. And it doesn't go to her dorm room in college. It comes to my mailbox. Once a week, I open the mail, and there is a copy of People magazine. And this is the truth. Up until now, I have not yet opened it. However... Every week, I see on the cover a description of people that our society consider blessed and favored. Our culture is telling us, if you, if you own this, or if you do that, or if you study this, or if you, achieve, or if you achieve that, you can become blessed and favored just like these famous people. And the kingdom of God, the, the Beatitudes, what Jesus is doing is he's totally turning that upside down. He's saying, blessed are you, or or favored are you if you are poor in spirit, if you mourn, if you are meek, if you are merciful. It's Jesus describing 
the burdened and weary people he was speaking of in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who are weary and all who are burdened. In fact, those are people Jesus loves to spend time with. Jesus loves to spend time with those who are poor in spirit. Like the woman in Luke chapter 7, the Pharisees labeled her a sinner. Some commentators say she was a prostitute and she comes into the, into the Pharisee's house and, and Luke 7 describes this incredible picture where she's in the presence of Jesus and she's just weeping. She's weeping. So much so that her tears are, ca- are causing Jesus' feet to be wet and, and she kneels down and begins to dry his feet with her hair. And Jesus says to her, woman, your, your sins are forgiven. Poor in spirit. Jesus loves those who are poor in spirit. Jesus loves those who mourn. The woman in Luke 8 who had the issue of bleeding. Not only was she grieving or mourning physically because she'd been bleeding for, for over a decade, but, 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 but spiritually, socially, she was a complete outcast because of Jewish law. And yet she comes into Jesus' presence. She, she pushes through the crowd and touches the hem of Jesus' garment. And Jesus says, woman, you've been healed. Go in peace. Jesus loves those who mourn. Jesus loves those who are poor in spirit. Jesus loves those who are meek. He loves spending time with the quote-unquote wrong people. Friends, the Beatitudes, and as we're going to see throughout the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes are not so much prescriptive as they are descriptive. What I mean by that? Jesus is not saying, be more uh, poor in spirit or, or be more meek. Or, or, or seek more right. He's not saying that. He's, he's describing people that are already in the kingdom. Friends, if you have surrendered your life to Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are poor in spirit. You realize your, your, your own shortcomings. You are the, those who are meek. You, 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 you realize that you have to become less so that Jesus can be more. You do seek righteousness. Not your own righteousness, but the righteousness of Jesus. This is describing those who are followers of him, not people that we have to strive to become. And I want you, just quickly, as we end this little section on looking at the Beatitudes, I want you to look at at how specifically God blesses and favors those who are in the kingdom. Look in the Beatitudes from verse 3 to verse 10 of of the specific blessing that comes upon those who are followers of Jesus. You're blessed because yours is the kingdom of heaven. You're blessed because you're comforted. You're blessed because you will inherit the earth and you will be filled and you will be shown mercy and you will see God and you will be called God's children and your reward in heaven is great. That's the blessing. That's the favor that comes upon those who are part of the kingdom of God. And this completely upside down concept of the kingdom, this, this, this idea that the, that the kingdom of God is so different to the world is what Jesus is getting at when he starts speaking about the fact that we are the salt of the earth and that we are a city on a hill and that we are a light that is to be placed upon a lampstand. Don't see those statements as, as, as um, bumper sticker slogans. Oh, be the salt of the earth. I mean, I even use that so often sometimes. You know, when I encounter someone who, who is unpretentious and, and hardworking and, and really kind of intentional in terms of desiring God's kingdom, they're such salt of the earth people. You've probably used that as well. Even the city on a hill. You know that Ronald Reagan, if you, if you read some of Ronald Reagan's speeches when he was president, consistently used the idea that America is a city on a hill. 
In his farewell speech to the nation, he actually referenced America as a city on a hill. Don't want to burst our bubbles as, as citizens of this great nation, but when Jesus was talking about a city on a hill, he was not talking about the United States of America, as great as this nation is. The point I'm trying to make is, is, that, is that we are different. Why? Because of the favor and grace and blessing of Jesus. We are the salt of the earth. We bring flavor. We bring freshness to the world. We are a city on a hill that is distinct, that people can look to and see what it looks like when Jesus is king. We are a lamp on a stand that is caused to to illuminate and to show the world and to shine Jesus' grace and goodness to the world around us. And, and, And the exhortation out of these verses, friends, again, is not be more salty or and that sounds weird, but, but it's, Jesus is not saying be more salty or, or shine brighter or stand prouder on top of the hill. What Jesus is saying is just be who you already are. If you look at verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. Friends, the reason I'm saying don't, don't, don't uh, uh, give in to the temptation to, to, to try to be more like the world, because we're not. Not because we're more special than or because we're more righteous than in our own righteousness. We're different from the world because of the goodness and grace of Jesus. The context of saltiness in, in Matthew 5 and, in, and in, in Mark's gospel and in Luke's gospel, interestingly enough, is always persecution. Look at verse 12. Rejoice, uh, sorry, verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Now, I don't want to speak about suffering and I'm not speaking about persecution today, but I will say this. In a culture where we are increasingly different and our nation is going that way, unfortunately, the temptation is if I can just be a little less salty then I won't face the persecution from the world. If I can just do the good deeds under a bowl where no one really is gonna notice, then I'm not gonna face the persecution that the world wants to bring against me. But when we do that, friends, we lose the very essence of who we are. The kingdom of God is different from the world. It's an inside-out kingdom. But secondly, and if, we're gonna, if we can just drop our, our eyes down to verse 17, not only is the kingdom of God upside down, it is also inside out. The kingdom of God is different from the world, but I want to say don't for a moment think that it is just like any other religion. Look at verse 17 of Matthew 5. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be, the, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, look at verse 20, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. 
I think the only appropriate response to verse 20 is gulp. I mean, what is, what is Jesus getting at? For I tell you that un, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of God, uh, the kingdom of heaven. There is a modern trend today to try and argue that verse away by saying that, that everything Jesus taught prior to the cross was actually old covenant. The, the, the new covenant was introduced when Jesus died and rose again from the cross. So, so everything that Jesus teaches, we don't really have to listen to because it's, it's old covenant teaching. Well, that, that sounds, you know, sensible. The problem is Matthew 28, Jesus commissioning the disciples, gives them this instruction. Baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I have taught you. So there seems to be, Jesus is saying, listen, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are, are truths that you need to not just listen, Vanessa's going to speak on this next week, not just to listen to God's word, but to actually put it into practice. What are we going to do? I hope I'm not preaching your sermon for next week. <laughs> what are we going to do? How do we, how do we reconcile verse 20? I mean, these Pharisees are professional righteousness seekers. These Pharisees are, are law keepers to the nth degree. They had taken the old covenant and literally had summarized, if you can, if you can call this summarizing, summarized the entire old covenant into about 630 specific commandments. And they made it their life's work to submit and surrender and obey every single one. What is Jesus meaning when he's saying that, that our righteousness needs to exceed the righteousness of these law keepers and these righteousness seekers? Here's the point. Their righteousness, friends, was an external righteousness. Their righteousness was a, was a life of rule keeping. Their righteousness was, was religious moralism trying to behave on the outside to impress themselves and to impress everyone else. They were trying to do enough to please God, which begs the question, which is still relevant to us today, how much is enough? If you're gonna live by rule keeping, how much is enough? If you're gonna earn favor with the Father because of prayer, how much do you have to pray? How many chapters of the Bible do you have to read before you can gain access into God's presence? How, many, how much money do you need to give into the offering through tithes and offerings to please the Father? How many times do you need to prophesy as Gary did to someone across the street before you find access into God's presence? Do you see the slippery slope that self-righteousness leads down? Enough is never enough. Friends, the kingdom of God is not just any other religion. The kingdom of God is not about external moralism. The kingdom of God is not about rule keeping. The kingdom of God is about an internal righteousness. The kingdom of God is about a righteousness that grabs hold of our hearts and then works itself out. And where do we find such a righteousness? We find such a righteousness in Jesus. That's what it means to be saved. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Our, his righteousness is our righteousness. We are found in him, as Galatians chapter three says. It go, friends, you, you, every time I'm gonna teach out of Matthew, I'm gonna take you back every single time to Matthew chapter one, which is the teaching on God's grace. I, I've, I've actually come to terms with the fact, and I think 
maybe I shouldn't be saying this publicly, but I think most preachers have one or two truths they, they go to all the time. And I've figured out that, that grace is one of those truths I often go to. Because, it, friends, it is life-transforming. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that when we receive Jesus into our hearts, our sin is placed on Jesus, but his righteousness is placed upon us. We are clothed in Jesus. We hide in the person of Jesus so that when when God looks at us, he doesn't see us, but he sees the perfect righteousness of his son. Jesus' righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, and we are in him, therefore we have an internal righteousness that far exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees. And friends, what Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are teaching us is how to give what it looks like when we give expression to the Christ righteousness that is in our hearts. The Sermon on the Mount is not saying do this and do that to please God. The Sermon on the Mount is saying allow Christ's righteousness, which is in your heart, to find expression. And this is what it looks like. That's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, 21, you've heard it said, the Pharisees have taught you. Tradition has told you this. Religion will teach you this. Do not murder. But I tell you, I'm bringing a new yoke. I'm bringing a fresh interpretation to Scripture. I'm saying, don't just, don't just not murder. Don't even be angry with your brother. He goes on to say in Matthew 5, 38, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye. But I tell you, this new yoke, this new interpretation of Scripture, when you give expression to the righteousness that is in your heart, you won't just not want to... to uh, uh, um, uh, 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 an eye for an eye, you'll actually turn your other cheek when someone insults you. Can I just say as a little aside, turning the other cheek is not to receive a slap on the other side. Turning the other cheek is actually a statement of intimacy. It's trusting that the person will not slap you but kiss you. In the kingdom of God, when this righteousness of Jesus finds expression and it comes out, I'm not just looking to get even with people who've been mean to me. And the same for you. We're actually looking for complete reconciliation with our enemies. Matthew 6. Religion teaches us to be generous. Religion teaches us to pray. Religion teaches us to fast. All good things. But Jesus says, don't do it to be noticed. Do it so that the Father in heaven can, can see it and he will reward you. Friends, this is not about religious behavior. But this is about a heart submitted to the king. Kingdom life. Kingdom life far surpasses religious righteousness. Kingdom life far surpasses religious righteousness. When we follow Jesus intentionally, we fulfill the law accidentally. I'll say that again. When we follow Jesus intentionally, we fulfill the law accidentally. It's a life of following him. I want to end by saying this. We've spoken about the kingdom of God not being like the world and the kingdom of God not being like any other religion. But, but here's where the world and other religions, here's what they have in common. The world and other religions have this in common. You have to earn approval. You have to earn value. You have to earn worth. You have to earn being uh, 
you know, dignity and a sense, of, and a sense of, of, of purpose. But the kingdom of God even turns that upside down. Look at chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are called children of God. Friends, the good news of the kingdom is when we are, when we are in the kingdom, we don't serve a boss who's checking up on our behavior. We are in relationship with the Father. When we fall short of some of these, experts, these teachings of Jesus, if, if God was a, was a boss, you'd be immediately fired. But God as a father keeps us close. Those of you who are parents in this room will know exactly what I'm about to say. When you have a child who's going through a difficult time, a disobedient period, going through a time where they're rebelling and doing, doing wrong things, They'll always be your child. But interestingly enough, it's the rebellious child that often has your heart more than ever. And that's just like the Father in heaven. When we are weary, when we are burdened, when we're making mistakes, when we're doing wrong things, when we're getting angry with others, when we're saying hurtful things about people, and we know that we're not allowing the righteousness of Jesus to find expression through us, God doesn't discard us. God doesn't kick us away. God doesn't say, I'm done with you. He actually draws even closer to us. It's an inside-out, upside-down kingdom. And so what is our response this morning? We're going to break some bread together as a church family. And I was asking God this morning, what is our response? How do we respond to this truth of of the kingdom of God being inside-out and upside-down? And I think the most appropriate response is just to reflect again before we break bread together, is to reflect again on Jesus' description of his yoke and his invitation to invite us who are weary and burdened to come into his presence. Matthew 11, Jesus says, "Come, come to me, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. You've been perhaps striving after religious righteousness, trying to earn your your place in God's kingdom. And hopefully you've seen how futile that actually is. Maybe that's causing you to be weary and burdened this morning. Maybe you're here today and you do know Jesus as Lord and Savior, but you're just tired of trying to be impressive to yourself and to others. Maybe you're in this place where you actually feel like you've walked away somewhat from God. Your heart has grown cold towards him. I want to say God hasn't walked away from you. He's inviting you this morning, you who are, who are weary and burdened, you who are carrying things in your heart. Come to me, Jesus says, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Submit to my teaching. Learn from me is what Jesus is saying. For I am gentle and I am humble. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Before I invite you to come up and grab some bread and grape juice, I just want to say, if you are here today and you've never received Jesus into your heart, and you sense that, that that call of Jesus is ringing in your, heart, in your ears and in your heart today. Jesus saying to you, come to me. I want to invite you right where you are seated to respond to his invitation right now. 
is not a formula to receiving Jesus. This is a relationship. Right where you are seated, I want to invite you to pray or to cry out to God something like this. Father, thank you that you are speaking to me this morning. Thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross. Jesus, you are calling me today to come to you. I am weary and I'm burdened. But today, I ask for your yoke to come upon me. Today, I want to submit to your lordship. Today, I want to submit to your authority. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I receive you into my heart today. In Jesus' name. Father, if anyone prayed that prayer this morning, I ask and pray, Lord God, that you would seal that decision today, that response today. They would know they are a child of God. Thank you that freedom and liberty comes from you and you alone. Jesus, thank you that the good news of the gospel is still good news today. This this inside-out, upside-down kingdom, Lord, is, is different from what we know, but it really is the truth. And we celebrate that today. Lord, as we break bread today, may we just reflect on your incredible goodness and grace in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening. You can always check out more messages at churchinthecity.us or on iTunes.